0: Hi, and welcome to the Bright Minds of E-Commerce podcast. I'm Dana, founder of Bright Red Marketing, your e-commerce advertising specialists. Today, we're here with Priya from Nine to Free Society. Priya is an ex-lawyer turned serial entrepreneur. She's the co-founder of four online businesses, including two e-commerce brands and the creator of the Nine to Free Society a community for e-commerce entrepreneurs to grow and scale their businesses. Believing in a better way to live, Priya left her career behind to build businesses that could create financial freedom, support her lifestyle, and give her time with her family. She's deeply passionate about helping others to do the same, contributing to a new narrative around what it means to work. In today's episode, she shares the journey of creating two successful e-commerce brands and all the juicy insider information on how to sell your business. So let's get into it. Welcome to episode 30. Today, we're here with Priya from the Nine to Free Society. Hi. So, so glad to be
1: here. Thanks for having me.
0: So good to have you on the show. So we're going to talk a little bit about you selling businesses. Before we do that, can you tell us a little bit about the two e-commerce brands that you launched and created? Absolutely.
1: So one of them was called the Oval Collection and the other one was called Self Kit. The Oval Collection is a jewellery brand, very much dedicated to mums, but we did expand to women and it was all about inspirational jewellery. So jewellery with beautiful quotes, messages and cards that came with it, a very sort of connected brand. And Self Kit was a brand where our very first product, and I say because my husband and I started this brand together. He designed a journal that was all about mindset and mental health and tracking habits and sort of creating that optimal life for yourself. And it incorporated things like gratitude and all that sort of thing. It was a proprietary system that he designed. And so that became our first product, which was a journal. And that became, that was actually our only product before we ended up selling that brand. And so both brands have now been sold recently to international purchasers.
0: Amazing. And in the process of building those brands, tell us a a little bit about that journey for the Oval Oval Collection and then for self-care. Sure. So the Oval Collection was, it took a lot longer
1: to get that brand kind of cranking because I used to be a lawyer and I had no idea about anything e-commerce or anything digital marketing or anything really about running a business. So um, as you can probably appreciate, it took a while to really learn the ropes. And then I actually took 10 months off the business due to having a baby during COVID and you know, postnatal depression and all of that. When I came back to that brand, it was September 2020. And I said, I'm just going to give this you know, one last shot. I actually thought the brand was a dud initially. I was so like, this is not going to work. I'm going to give it 90 days. And within 90 days, you know, I managed to 10x my revenue very quickly. And then, you know, within six months, it was like an 18x return to, you know, up to 25k a month, which was a pretty amazing progress from where the brand was. And then with self-care, I kind of knew what I was doing. We really knew all of the different elements of that sort of ecosystem or flywheel that we wanted to put in place. So We launched it and we were well into the 10k months by the second month. And so it just grew from there.
0: Amazing. Do you have any sort of tips or strategies that you use to help you scale that quickly? So definitely
1: Facebook ads was one of the things that we used for both brands, because if we had used organic growth only, it would have taken a very long time. But also a lot of our customers weren't on Instagram, you know, they were on Facebook and Facebook organic growth on a Facebook page is not something that has been very easily accessible for people for a very long time. And so we definitely found ads were super helpful, but we also utilized Everything, we utilized email marketing, you know, brought in SMS marketing, used, you know, made sure the website was entirely optimized. So while ads did help us scale, it was really having that entire ecosystem in place and constantly checking on all of the moving parts, making sure that they were still moving and nothing was broken because things start to sort of drop off and you have to keep optimizing. And so it was just constantly focusing on that. that just helped that wheel turning.
0: Yeah. Help that wheel keep
1: turning is what I mean to say.
0: No, I love that. So was the goal always to build a business to sell or if not, when did you sort of decide it was the right time to sell? The goal wasn't
1: always to build, to sell, although I always had it in the back of my mind that I might sell one day, but there was certainly a point for me where I thought these businesses both need to go international and they Have every opportunity to do so, and then we had to make a decision about whether or not we wanted to be the people to do that. They were growing very rapidly, and we have just been through quite a couple, like probably three years now. Of you know, we've had really our kids are really little, and that's exhausting. We've moved states to you know our dream state, Queensland, right now, but you know that move was a big deal for us. So we are both feeling quite tired of building. And going international would have meant that we'd have to launch into that next phase of building. And so we kind of assessed where our businesses were at and what we wanted for the short term before our oldest goes to school. And we said, you know what, we just want to have a mini retirement. And our businesses are in a place where we could sell them and actually do that and take some time off before we then launch into building the next thing. And so that's when we decided, you know what, let's. Let's sort of build the brands in a way that we could then sell them. And then we'll decide when it comes to that time whether or not we want to sell them once we have all those things in place. And turns out we we did want to sell them. And so that's what
0: happened. And now we are we're very happy cruising with our decision. Amazing. So when it came to be the right time to sell, was that because life-wise it was the right time to sell or business-wise, they were the right time to sell? Or a bit of both. Both. So I
1: think, yeah, I think business-wise selling when, for example, if you were someone who felt like your brand wasn't working out that's a very different place to be in than selling when you know you've had a really great track record of growth and it's been consistent month on month and you've you know your profit has been consistent and you've got everything in place and so there are certain times of the year and we can get into this but certain times of the year when it's better to sell and so when we made that decision it was very much in planning for that to happen and ensuring that at that point you know everything was in place and if we didn't sell at that point we would have had to wait another sort of 6 to 8 months to do that.
0: When is a good time to sell a business? I didn't think that was a seasonal thing. Well, it is because
1: when you think about an investor or a, you know, a, an operator who wants to purchase your business, their number one priority is making a return on that money as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So, in order to do that, they're going to be looking at the profit margins and how quickly can they, you know, make that return. And so if you sell say during like right after Christmas, then they are going to possibly, if you don't have another spike, they're going to be waiting a long time to make a return. So ideal times to sell, and it's a little bit hard to balance because you also don't want to sell straight after a lull. So say in a lot of businesses right now are are experiencing a lull. So, So say you listed your brand in April and you've had a lull for three months, it might show negatively on your PL because you just haven't had those sales. So you want to kind of sell when you're coming off a high or at least sort of ramping up to the next kind of high. So those are the two points. And so selling with enough time for them to get their head around the business and implement whatever they want to implement in order to recoup that investment. So for me, it was Mother's Day's coming up. And so that was a huge selling point for the buyer to go, hey, you know, I can actually recoup that investment for Mother's Day. And again, if you sell, say, in August, September leading up to Black Friday or Christmas, that can be a really great time as long as you've had some great months before that. So it's sort of thinking about those two things.
0: Yeah. Okay. So it's not seasonal in like it's a bad time to sell a business at Christmas time, but seasonal to your business as to when the best time is to sell your business. Correct. Yep. Fantastic. Is there anything that you had to do to get the business ready to sell? Yeah, so lots of things. I'll Give us mention the rundown. a couple of the,
1: <laughs> yeah, a few like really important ones. So one of those is having a really strong PL with, you know, all the data broken down really well. And I know that a lot of the time when you are running a business solo, you kind of you kind of know where your business is at, but you're not really going into every little bit of data and you might not have your PL prepared. This is particularly important with e because you have to take into account inventory purchasing. And so if you're putting your purchases, for example, in the same line as expenses, it can actually sort of destroy your profit margin for those months. So it's having a really good PL that accurately reflects your inventory, your profit, your marketing spend, et cetera. So that's a really important part of it. The second thing we had to do, or we didn't have to do it, but we wanted to do it, was ensuring that our fulfillment was outsourced because when you are selling a brand, and look, particularly in Australia, Australia is a small market. So if you want to open up your business to international purchases, you need to have either a warehouse that is run by staff, etc., or a third-party logistics company. And we decided to go with a 3PL because it just meant that the person purchasing it didn't have to worry about staffing and all of that. A lot of investors don't want to have to think about that. They just want to know that it's sorted. They don't want to have to then try and interview people across the other side of the world in a different time zone to, you know, be able to do that. The other aspect of it is if you're setting your business up to scale internationally, you need to sort out, you know, part of that 3PL process is barcoding. And so to sort of say to them, you know, you can now take this and expand it. We've set up all the ops, all the barcodes. All you need to do is send product to that 3PL provider in the US, in Canada, in Europe, wherever they are. That's all set up for them. So it removes that friction and they can just, you know, the purchasers now are literally taking that product and taking these brands overseas. So that was another process that was really important to set up to just open up those opportunities.
0: Amazing. And did they hand it, I mean, obviously you would have handed over all of your marketing and things. Was there any kind of tricks or tips around handing over those sorts of things? A lot of it
1: was being really organized. It's amazing how many apps and different things we use, whether it's, you know, even as small as Google suite, which is like $8 a month or whatever it is, keeping track of all of those things, having passwords ready to hand over. It's surprisingly quick. You can, you can hand over a significantly sized e-commerce business in a day, but a couple of things that I will mention. (laughs) I know, right? Like you literally give someone your passwords and because it's 3PL, there's no stock handover. So it's just like, here you go, here's your business. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) It's... (laughs) Slightly longer than that, but not, it doesn't take very long. But one thing that surprised me was how long the domain transfer takes. And so, setting up your domain, this is like a random little hack that I wish I had known, was transferring your domain sort of a couple of months in advance, because you can only transfer a domain once within like a certain period of time. And then transferring it to, say, whatever it is, GoDaddy, whatever, it doesn't have to be that, we didn't use that, but some domain provider that, then the purchaser can also use that same domain provider and the domain transfer will be sort of intraday. Whereas if you are transferring from one host to another host, it can take five to seven days. And in that period of time, they officially don't own the business. You kind of don't own the domain. Like it's all a bit anxiety complicated inducing. and it's a bit slow. It's very anxiety <laughs> inducing. It, you know, one of the brands, we just happened to have that. Set up already, and we're like, "Oh, it was so easy." And then the second one, we were sitting there going, "Oh my god, like, why is this taking so long?" So that's definitely a little, a little tip if anyone's selling their brand to just think about these, these weird little things.
0: Yeah, I would never have even thought about that.
1: Is there actually there was another hack that I oh, yes? mentioned
0: because it was so it's like, probably going to
1: be we, we're very proud expression. of it. It's actually something <laughs> that my um my dad suggested, and I was like, "Go, dad! Like, this is epic." We were trying to work out how to, all of the expenses are often on your credit card statement, uh, on your credit card. And so when you are transferring over to someone else, they need to effectively change that over to their credit card. And you don't really have a lot of control over that piece. So actually going and purchasing like a debit card, and you can do this from like Australia Post and transferring everything over to that debit card so that your liability is limited in that sense so you know we had fantastic purchases and buys but just say you get someone that is quite lazy with transferring that over you're not then paying all of those expenses going forward
0: it's so that was cool. like
1: yeah i was, down was really <laughs> i know i was so, i was like oh my god that's brilliant so yeah That's a good one to, I think, mention to people because that's another thing that can cause anxiety. Like when you have a bigger brand, you're spending hundreds of dollars each month on Mm. apps and software and that sort of thing. It's not like, it's not like thousands of you include
0: Facebook ads. Oh yeah, that's right. (laughs) Like, holy moly. Yeah. Okay. You've sort of covered this, but was there anything you'd wish you'd done or known in the very early days of your business would have made selling easier now? Or is it just the things you've covered?
1: I think The biggest thing I would say is around mindset. And I think it's because people don't talk about selling a business and what that process involves. I think understanding that between when you get an offer and when you actually hand over the business, that is possibly one of the most stressful times of your life when it's a significant amount of money. And so to just kind of understand that that's going to happen and to sort of put things in place to enable you to continue to run the business and de-stress a little bit and maybe have some people that you can talk to is really important because it is anxiety-inducing when, you know, you're trying to negotiate contracts and sign contracts. And this is stuff that most people are not that familiar with. It's not something we do every day. And so it can be rather stressful. And so I think just preparing yourself for that and putting things in place, you know, if you do have kids, just, it sounds so ridiculous, but literally like setting up that period to be as easy and as seamless as possible. Don't add any additional stress to your life because that process can happen very quickly, but it's like a very intense period of a couple of weeks where you just have to be on the ball. Like we were up at midnight negotiating contracts because people were overseas. We literally didn't sleep just because of the time difference. So yeah, just getting your mental state right in that this is really exciting, but it is going to be a high stress situation at some points.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Obviously, transferring businesses is quite a a legal situation. How did you manage that? Or because your history, (laughs) that was the easy part for you? (laughs) I wouldn't say it was easy. I
1: was in a very different type of law. I was in commercial litigation, which is great because I know all the things that can go wrong. (laughs) <laughs> which, you know, helpful and terrifying. But one of the things I did was yeah, I was able to draft the contract myself and that was easy. And for one of the brands, that was a very seamless process. For the other brand, you know, it was a much larger transaction and we did need to hire a lawyer. And that was, that was something that was very beneficial to do using a lawyer who not only understands like what contract is but the legal implications someone that's done this before especially when we're talking international because international laws are very different you know the laws of the us and canada are completely different to the laws in australia and some of those things might be general practice there but it's not general practice here and so I was quite shocked by some of the clauses. And then, you know, the lawyer was able to help me understand, like, what is the practical implications of this? Only because he has had a lot of international legal experience. Yeah, so okay. if you are, if you do have a purchaser like that, then it's important to get someone who knows kind of what they're doing. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: So something that I've always been curious about is how did you work out the value of your business? Well, it's actually...
1: Somewhat simple in that there are some guidelines around it. So, with e commerce stores that are doing, you know, if you're looking at less than a million dollars a year, it's around anywhere from kind of 0.8 to 3 as a multiple of profit. And it's probably more going towards 0.8 to 2 as a multiple of profit. And that then varies based on different aspects of your business. So for example, it would vary based on whether you have a 3PL or whether you're fulfilling out of home. Your multiple goes up when fulfillment is with a 3PL. Your multiple also goes up when you have a good mix of organic and paid traffic. If you've never run paid traffic before, that can actually reduce your multiple because people are quite concerned about whether paid traffic will work. But equally, if you are solely focused on paid traffic and have no organic traffic, that can reduce your multiple, having all your systems and processes set up, you know, automated flows, et cetera. All of these things that make it easier for the buyer to take that over can increase your multiple brand value, loyalty, reviews, all of this stuff that is inbuilt into the brand. If they can clearly see that and they can see that customers love your brand, that's always going to, you know, be in favor um, and increase your multiple. And that's where it gets a little bit tricky to say it's exactly
0: worth this, Um, Is that where the negotiation then comes into play? Yeah, that's right. But did you sort of determine that you thought yours was say like a, I'm just guessing here, like a 2.5 and then they negotiated you down to like a 1.8?
1: Yeah, actually I got pretty much what we wanted and in one of the cases we got more than what we wanted. So um, that worked out really well for us. Um, We were pretty good at, you know, ensuring that we had like the right, the right multiple. Is that yearly profit? Yes. So it's annual profit, but it's also, I guess, the other thing is looking at month on month. So, how much has the profit varied month on mm-hmm. month? And especially with Facebook ads, as you know, like for a lot of people, they took a hit with their profit over that period of time. Yeah. Especially last year. So, that last six months of the year when people were still working out, how do we make this profitable? I know a lot of brands took a bit of a hit and that was something that a lot of the investors were talking about, like, oh, are the ads still working? There was a lot of concern around that. So just looking at the consistency of profit. So if you had, even if you've had like a massive amount of profit, but a lot of that was just in January or February, and then it tanked after that, that's not going to raise your multiple just because the profit's there.
0: Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I know a lot of people are interested in how you went about finding buyers either because people want to buy businesses themselves or because they're looking at selling. How did you find buyers? What was that process like?
1: So we listed it on a couple of platforms that are available. I know there's more platforms than we used, but essentially I I listed it on a platform called Micro Acquire and on Flipper, and both of those platforms that basically facilitate the sale of e-commerce brands. And so you'll get lots of buyers and sellers on those platforms. It's a great way to also do research and try and benchmark yourself against what other people are doing. And so that was part of the research process. So like what are other brands selling for? What is their multiple? And so you can do a lot of research that way. But we listed it on there and we got you know a ton of inquiries. They also have newsletters. So they have databases of buyers and they'll send your brand out to those Buyers. And sometimes, depending on the quality of your listing, they will feature you. So, we were featured a couple of times, got a massive influx of interest after being featured. So, there's some cool things that they do to help you actually make that sale happen.
0: Yeah, amazing. Can I ask whether that was a a paid listing or a free listing, or how does that work? So, Flipper is paid. So, they have a model where you pay
1: an upfront fee, which I think they will often waive. I think we got ours waived and then they take a percentage of your sale price if you sell through them micro acquire i believe is free to list and they don't take a percentage if you sell through them so that's kind of great because you know when that you have to like give up a chunk well of your them. business after you've sold it yeah well yeah i'm, I'm not, sure they make I'm money somewhere sure <laughs> what they, they must, but, you know, I think the founder, I really, I really love to The founder is incredible. You know, they send, they send you a personalized email afterwards. Like it's a great platform and they have lots of templates for legal things and that's all free. So I think, you know, for them, they're also potentially in the stages of really seeding that marketplace yep. and maybe they'll change that over time. I don't know, but I, I loved using that platform. That was my sort of favorite platform.
0: Amazing. You said you got quite a bit of interest. How did you go about sort of narrowing that down to, I suppose, someone who was actually going to follow through on buying, but also someone you wanted to sell to?
1: Yeah. So that is a process. I'll tell you what, you need a lot of time to get back to people. If you do have a lot of interest in your brand, part of it is they, first up, they just want all your financials. And so they sign an NDA and you just hand over your financials. And then it's really a process of just answering all of their questions. One of the things that I did was hop on Zoom calls with people who were showing a lot of interest. So I would just offer straight up, do you want to get on a Zoom call after we've had a little bit of back and forth? And that was an easy way to tell if someone was very serious in the business or not. And then the people I spoke to, there was a couple where I'd actually rejected their offers because I just didn't think they were the right fit for the brand. And, you know, it was important because both these brands were very, I guess, meaningful in their own ways. It was important that they, for us, that they went to people who really loved what the brand was about and they would continue that going forward. So some of them were just outright, you know, they gave me an offer and I just said, I'm just sorry. Like I'm not, the offer was great, but I just wasn't, I wasn't willing. Um, I didn't think they were a good fit and you just get a feel like if people are rude to you, just you know, don't worry about them because <laughs> that happens too. And a lot of it is just waiting it out, you know, just answering the questions and going through the motions. You just never know who it's going to be that's going to give you that offer. You've just got to put in the work and it is work to go back and forth and, you know, speak to all these people and give them all the information and everything. And some of them won't come back to you. And then yeah. you kind of sit there and you're like, Oh, all right, then, you know, I just spent five days like answering all your questions But that's just the process. And I think I want to be a bit transparent around that just to help people know that that's normal. It's like, it's not that there's anything wrong with you or your brand or any of that. It's just all of these people are also looking to purchase businesses. And so they're probably doing this as much as
0: you're doing this. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there anything else you think we haven't covered that you'd like to share about the process of selling businesses? Like, I feel like we could talk about this for hours, but like, is there anything that's Um, sort of like really imperative for people to know or some fun statistics or data you'd like to share? The one thing I would
1: say is just not to rush it. I think if you are able, the longer you can plan out your path, the better your outcome will be. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're able to, I know a lot of people get to this point where they're like, I just want to sell it. I'm over it or it's not working and I want to sell it. It's always better to sell your brand when it's working and always better to plan ahead because if you can plan ahead, you can put in everything in place to really get the most out of it. You're selling an asset. And I think, you know, it's like when you sell a house, if you sell your house when it's in a kind of, you know, a bit of a shambles, then you're not going to get as much of an outcome or as good of an outcome. than if you, you know, do it up and get, you know, all the pictures on the wall and get someone to come and make it look beautiful and take professional photos. And it's the same with selling a business. So set it up for success early. And then you will see some pretty amazing results. And I know a lot of people want to sort of build to sell. And I think if you can set up those things from the start and set it up in mind, like with all of these factors in mind in terms of like having the ecosystem in place and, you know, having good repeat purchase and just all of those little elements, if you think about them when you're starting a new brand, which is what I'm now thinking about, taking time off lasted two weeks for me. And while I am still taking (laughs) some time off, we're like, what are we going to do next? We're bored. Um,
0: I assume you sold so, it for more money than two weeks worth of time off though.
1: <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Way Good. more. <laughs> Fantastic. We could have taken oh, like a long time off and we were supposed to were like, we're just going to have fun and brunch and spend time with our kids. And now we're like, hmm, what's next? Okay. What <laughs> is next? But you know, we're very much going, oh, we actually really liked the ability to build and sell. And so anything that we create in the future, even if we don't want to sell it, I think when you build a brand with the ability to sell it, you end up doing less work and making more money because you build it with that intention of like, it's supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be available for someone on the other side of the world to run.
0: I feel like that is amazing advice. And I feel like even if you have no intentions to ever sell, you should run your businesses if you're going to sell it because you just don't know what's going to happen. Like having it set up so that it's automated, so that it could be transferred to someone at the drop of a hat would make your life so much easier. If anything ever does happen. Yeah. And like, and you know that you make money because a lot of people go into business and they don't know their margins and they don't know how much profit they're making and they just hustle and hustle, but they're hustling for cents on the dollar or they're going backwards. So I think if you're kind of building a business to sell, you're really thinking about profit margins and how can I do this easier and who can I outsource this to? And it kind of frees you up a lot. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I think we just never know what's going to happen in life and, you know, not to sound morbid, but like like things happen, things go wrong. And, you know, you might get to the point where one day you either just can't sustain it or you have to make something else a priority. I mean, this happens all the time. And with e-commerce, like you're building an asset you have that ability to build it as an asset from day 1 so that you can actually cash out this isn't the kind of business where it's time for money it's not a personal brand and you know you don't need to be there you can literally even if you didn't want to sell it you could put someone in place to operate that for you yeah. but you know sometimes people need like a huge chunk of money or one day they just get up and they're like I'm just so done I don't want to work anymore and e-commerce like being able to build that asset gives you the ability to take quite a lot of time off if you don't want to work. So I think there are some advantages to building it as an asset, taking yourself out of the picture, almost like building it so that anybody from anywhere could run it and that you could just literally like get hit by a bus and it would still work until someone worked out that someone else needed to step in and run it.
0: That would be like the ideal way to do it. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's very wise business advice. So we'll just get into the last questions that we ask everybody. Just to give everyone a bit of background, you have now started this other brand, Nine to Free Society. So we'll hear a little bit about that in a second. But do you have any strategies or habits you follow each day to help you stay on track? I do actually. And so
1: these are game changing for me. I wake up every day at about 4 or 4.30 a.m. And I have coffee. That's the very first thing that I do. But I spend some time just either, and it changes. It's not like one of those morning routines where I have to follow the same, like five steps every morning but it is very much me time. It's time for me to do learning. So if I'm ever needing to do training to upskill myself, I do that in that time. I sometimes meditate. I do, you know, lately I've been doing a lot of like visualization, just these little things. I don't exercise at that time of day, but I know that I can't really exercise before eating, but like, I wish I could, that would be a great time to get that in. But literally waking up at that time every morning, just, makes me kind of a better human you know i have two little kids who wake up with any weird mood so it makes me like have the ability to deal with whatever they are willing to throw at me from the second they wake up but also just to make business decisions because business is super like it's like a roller coaster um i don't check my emails at that time in the morning i try not to be reactive and so i think whatever happens in the day I can just see the difference between when I have woken up early and done those things, whatever it is that I felt like doing on that day, but having that hour or two hours of time to myself, then when I wake up at kind of 7 a.m. and I'm all like frazzled because I'm doing a million things trying to get everyone out the door. So that for me has been game changing.
0: Amazing. I love how everyone's so different. If I woke up at four o'clock in the morning, you would not want to talk to me. But it (laughs) works for so many people. I was going to say, what time do you go to bed if you're waking up at four in the morning? So, I, I try and
1: sleep by nine. See, it's, that's, it's, it's really hard. Like, I, most of the time, it's probably close at 9 30 or 10, but I really try and be in bed. And, I mean, like,
0: that's still, that's still a good six, seven hours. That's okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not living on like a sleep deprived life. No. Like, I need
0: my sleep. It's just shifting that.
1: Yeah, I feel like when you're giving a parent, you some, like night some time times to lane, yourself. Anyway,
0: so. Yeah, you're giving <laughs> yeah. yourself some time to yourself, and that is important. Do you have a favorite business book? Ooh. I would say that my favorite book
1: is actually Mindset and I've completely forgotten the name of the author, which is terrible, but we can put it in the show notes if you want to remember. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Mindset was one of the greatest books for me in business and in life and in parenting. It's just one of those brilliant books. So I think it really, I read it probably a couple of years ago before, right before I made that decision to go in for 90 days on my business, I read Mindset. And so I guess I can see a very distinct change in what I started doing once I read that book. So I highly recommend
0: it. Amazing. Do you have a favorite podcast, business or just fun?
1: Right now, I am loving the podcast, My First Million with Sam Pahar and Sean Puri. That is like my go-to. I think they do two or three episodes a week and I am there every single day, hanging on there every I love it.
0: Amazing. And now give us a little bit of a rundown on 9 to Free society And I believe you had a special offer for our listeners?
1: Yeah. So 9 to Free society is something I started not that long ago, but essentially it's, it's more, of, I guess, a passion project around helping other e-commerce entrepreneurs because I... Ever since I sort of started seeing traction in my business, I've had a lot of people say, how do I do this? What do I do, et cetera, et cetera. So I started this and one of the things in there, which is the thing I'm focusing on right now, is called the Ecom Lab. And it's it's a membership where I support people to do what I've been talking about, which is put in all those elements of the ecosystem. So you know, the website optimization, email marketing, there's a bit of Facebook ads in there. It's kind of got a whole package to try and get people a little bit of momentum so that they can get to, you know, 10 or 20K a month and then start to outsource things. And I think that I've seen some really amazing results from the members inside, and so I'm pretty passionate about continuing to grow that. And so it doesn't replace if people wanted to hire like a full service ads manager, a full service email marketer. But what it does is it gives them the resources to really understand how to do some of this stuff themselves to get those first 10, 20K of sales. Because once you're there, you can really start to outsource, but you need to have that fundamental understanding of what you're doing in your business. And so that's what it does. And so if anyone does want to join, I am more than happy to give you a special offer. And I'd love for you to just DM me. The membership is closed. So it's hard for me to just go, oh, here's a discount code. (laughs) Um, But, you know, happy to look after you if you say that you've listened to the Bright Red Marketing Podcast and I will look after you. And yeah, I'd love to have you in
0: there. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the 30th episode of the Bright Minds of Ecommerce podcast. Don't forget, we load all of the links and show notes onto our website. You can find everything at brightwoodmarketing.com.au forward slash episode 30. The link will also be in the episode description.